What's up, Night fans? Jeff Sharon with you here, along with Eric Lopez in the Black and Gold Banneret podcast. Today, we're recording this actually on a Wednesday night, September 21st. And uh, wow, boy, have things picked up around UCF land. Uh, lots to talk about tonight. We talk about the uh, game against Maryland, uh, Mackenzie Milton's debut, the upcoming game at FIU. Uh, we've got the uh, news of the USF-UCF rivalry coming around and uh, and just, gosh, a busy, busy show. So let's get right to it. Uh, Jeff Sharon with you here, of course, and joining me as usual, Eric Lopez. What's up, Eric? It's going well, my friend. It's going very well. It's a busy time. Lots of stuff going on, and uh, that's a good thing. Yeah, man. Th- all of a sudden, this, become a big, uh, this became a big uh, news week. So let's go ahead and uh, dive right in. Oh. By the way, don't forget, you can follow us on Twitter at UCF underscore Banneret, B-A-N-N-E-R-E-T. You can follow Eric at Eric Lopez Elo. You can follow me at Jeff underscore Sharon. Uh, we are also available on Facebook. Just look up Black and Gold Banneret. And if you go to blackandgoldbanneret.com, you can check out our, you can, first of all, you can subscribe to our podcast via uh, iTunes, Stitcher, and Google Play. And you can also get our email newsletter where you get our latest articles sent right to you in your email inbox. All right, let's dive in. Let's talk about this Maryland game. Heartbreaker, uh, thirty-four. Excuse me, thirty to twenty-four in uh, double OT. Um, although I'll say this, you know, years ago when we were coming up, Eric, we used to talk. Everyone used to talk about how oh, there was moral victories. Like we all we came up so close against. You know, all these different teams, um, you know, Georgia, Purdue, Georgia Tech, on and on and on, Auburn um, back in the day. But everyone was like, we're sick of moral victories. Uh, This one was not a moral victory. But the sense that I get out of that game is, wow, we've really got something cooking here. We just need to let it cook a little bit more. It's a little raw right now. Um, You were at the game. Tell me about what you were seeing from this team that now has its new starting quarterback in an 18-year-old, 170-pound true freshman from Hawaii. Yeah, Mackenzie Milton got the start. Uh, you know, and uh, that kind of as the week played on, you wondered what they are going to do with the quarterback situation. And I think towards as we got to game day, it became kind of the, the work started spreading that he was going to get the start. And he did, and and I think what you saw, and, and you know what I saw in person, Jeff, is a quarterback that fits the system that they're running a lot better yes. than anybody else on the roster. Uh, and and I think you saw that. You saw a little bit more of tempo. Now, did he make some mistakes? Absolutely, he did make make some mistakes, and the the turnovers killed the team. That's why they lost the football game because I think in a lot of ways they outplayed Maryland. Uh, so he made some mistakes, but that's a you know he's a freshman, so. I thought he made some plays, like that play in the, I believe it was overtime on that third and long to Aikens. Uh, that was a heck of a play. Yeah. Um, you know, so things didn't go their way. Traquan Smith was the one who caught that touchdown, by the way, in the first overtime, I think. Yeah. Yeah. He was, tre- and he was tremendous. He, he had a great ball game himself. So uh, he made some plays with the passing game. I thought the defense was solid. Uh, you know, and, and I've said this in the past. I think the defensive stats are going to be very mis uh, kind of really you should ignore them to some degree because they're going to be on the field a lot. But I thought this defense is night and day from last year. The attitude is much better. They're much more aggressive. They're making plays. 
don't you think this defense right now is ahead of the offense? I think that the uh, that the defense is considerably improved. I think that we're going to see the offense grow by leaps and bounds. I think you're right. You know, we talked about how Justin Holman, God bless him, you know, for the good things that he's done for UCF over the years. He's just a square peg in a round hole in that offense. And uh, Milton came in, his numbers on the day, 21 to 36 for 260 yards, two touchdown passes. He did have one interception that I think was on a tipped ball, if I'm not mistaken. And uh, but the big thing was he fumbled the ball six times and lost three of them. The last one was the most costly one in the second overtime on what we thought was a pretty controversial call, but the ball did go sideways. It was a lateral. And uh, as far as Milton's concerned, um, but you look at the good things that he did. He was confident in the pocket. He was able to make something out of nothing, which we have not seen from a UCF quarterback in quite some time. I thought the most impressive part of the defense was their pass defense. Perry Hills, the quarterback in Maryland, finished just 10 of 23 for 127 yards and was sacked five times. Uh, He did have one 51-yard completion, but you do the math, take away that one big play, and he was 9 of 22 for 76 yards and was sacked five times. That tells me that the secondary is playing incredible football in that ballgame. Now, the downside to that, though, was that the rushing numbers uh, weren't to UCF's liking, and Maryland did rush for almost five yards a carry on 50 rushes um, in that game. Um, A sharp contrast to uh, Michigan the week before when the rush defense was very good, and Michigan had put all the points up that they put up uh, via the pass, but... Um, yeah, you're right. I thought that I, I, th- I did think though that the use that the defense was very good for much of the game, but then wore down by the time they got to the overtime. And the evidence of that you saw was Maryland scored their two touchdowns on a combined five plays, and all five plays were runs by the quarterback, uh, including the last one by the backup quarterback after Hills got knocked out of the game and he ran in 24 yards for the um, game clincher, but. Um, there is, everything is still a work in progress. Like the, everything is still very raw. It's, it's not quite humming on all cylinders as I don't think anyone expected it would at this point. Um, but there are a lot of good things to look at and take away from and say, okay, if this develops the way we think it's going to develop and we let these, and we let these young players kind of bake in the oven a little bit more, by the end of this season, I think the Knights are going to be peaking. Um, my question is, you know, are they going to, you know, be able to keep some of that growth momentum going, or will they lock themselves out of a bowl by the time they start playing really well? Well, that remains to be seen. But uh, you know, I think you got all these young players. You've got now a, a true freshman at quarterback starting. Mackenzie Milton. You've got a freshman in Adrian Killings. You've got a, you know, you got Juwan Hamilton. Who's a freshman? I mean, so I mean, they're playing them, and you know, I, I think that's really what this is: is they're they're growing into the system, they fit the system, and they're getting experience. And whatever happens the rest of the way, the goal is to get better and prime for twenty seventeen and twenty eighteen. And I think the coaching staff decided that Milton gives them the best chance to win right now, 
And, you know, you could say yes. Or, and certainly the injury to Justin Holman maybe uh, ex- expedited this, you know, kind of sped this up yeah. a little bit. But I would say now that he's played, in my opinion, I would just play him the rest of the year. Um, you can't redshirt him now unless it's a medical. And he's the future. And I don't believe at the end of the day, we make a big deal about redshirting quarterbacks and this or that. My thing is if the guy's ready to play, then you play him. Uh, everybody's different, and I think he's clear. He's the best guy to run this offense and this scheme right now. And if that's the case, he should play because 2017 and 2018 are a lot more important than 2020. And the way recruiting's going in nowadays, anyway, you can recruit quarterbacks. Heck, there's a quarterback coming in next year from Central Florida that's going to come in. So you're to me, the redshirt thing's overrated. As far as are you ready to play and are you the best guy for the job? And I think Mackenzie Milton is the best guy for this job and this scheme, and he's your future. And I think you see your hope that he can develop into that playmaker at that quarterback position like the coaching staff believes he can be. You know what I thought was really the key difference with this coaching staff, and I was thinking about this the other day. You talk to guys who played under George O'Leary, and not to beat a dead horse here, but um, you talk to guys who played under George O'Leary, they were so afraid of making a mistake in their first three years. It wasn't until later on that they sort of got it. And they were like, you know, that they sort of let that fear go. But now you have all these young freshmen playing here under Scott Frost. They're not afraid to make mistakes. They play hard. They play fast. Even the defensive guys, too. You see this on both sides of the ball. When you got young guys out, they're going to make errors. But these are errors of effort, they're not mental errors. They're not quitting like they did last year. Um, and that's what I think is encouraging because I feel like the the players under Scott Frost and his staff, and i got to give the staff a lot of credit, especially the including the assistants, have empowered these young players to go ahead and screw up, make mistakes, just play hard. And they don't know any better. They don't know any better than to just play hard. They're not second-guessing themselves out there. Sure, they're making, you know, I mean, Mackenzie Milton fumbles the ball six times. Yeah, fine, but that's a correctable mistake. And it's going to take some reps, and he's going to get those reps, which I think is the most important part. What do you think? Is it, do you see that as a as a positive thing for this team here? Well, yeah, I mean, I think Scott Frost has said, hey, they're going to play it a certain way. They're going to be aggressive all the time. So I think they're just following the coach. And he was aggressive. You saw that on Saturday night. Yeah, went for it on fourth and yeah. one on his own eleven. Yeah, and he went for it, did a fake punt. I mean, he's so. I mean, I think they're just following suit, and I think that's the message he wants to tell his players: is you're going to go freely and you're going to play aggressive. And I think that's, you know, uh, the message with that off with, with the program. So yeah, you know, I, I, I kind of believe that. I think they're kind of following suit. Um, that being said, there's things they got to correct. They got to do a lot better job of the protection there, and they got to do a better job protecting the football. Uh, and you would hope that with time and more reps that happens uh, for this team. But, uh, yeah, I think they're certainly they're, – they're not afraid. They're not tentative. They're going to be – they've been taught to be aggressive. And I think they're flying all over the field, and I think that shows. Milton in the postgame, cool customer, right? Yeah. I mean, uh, 
had a chance to uh, obviously talked after the game. We were in the press car, which was kind of nice. We were, it was funny. I was talking to my, our friend Brandon Helwig of UCSSports.com, and I was trying to think. It's a, probably the first true freshman quarterback that's ever spoken right after a post game because, as you know very yeah. well, George O'Leary didn't allow freshman uh, players, forget quarterbacks, players to even talk to the media. I think Jeff Godfrey, you know, that was the thing me and Brandon were trying to think about. I think me, I don't know if Jeff Godfrey, I think he maybe at some point during his freshman season spoke to the media, but I don't think it was even necessarily a post game. It was more like a midweek type of gathering with the media or stuff like that. But nonetheless, yeah, I think he's very cool, very down to earth, uh, laid back, as you would expect, you know, from Hawaii and, uh, you know, I, I think the players are clearly behind him. I think they believe in him, and uh, I know the coaching staff believes in him. And, you know, Scott Frost even talked about it, Jeff, this week, about McKenzie gives them their best chance to win and that uh, maybe, you know, we haven't seen anything yet. Yeah, I think that based on what we saw, I mean, you know, I know that Maryland struggled last year. They were 3-9, and nine, first-year head coach this year at DJ Durkin. Um, but that's still a Big Ten team out there. So I'm interested to see what happens um, as UCF takes on their next opponent on the road this time, but it's Florida International uh, who comes in uh, 0-3 under Ron Turner. They've lost to Indiana, Maryland. 41-14 was a loss to Maryland in week two before uh, before we played them. And then uh, at UMass, uh, 21-30... FIU has scored 13, 14, and 13 points in their first three games. Um, this game is on 7 o'clock um, down in Miami. Uh, and uh, it will be on Be In Sports, which is uh, uh, mostly an international soccer network, but they they scored some college football <laughs> this year. And, uh, yeah. Well, well, they, everyone, they picked up the package of the Conference USA. That's yeah. what happened. Well, well, here's what's cool about that, though, is uh, see, I feel like I'm in the know now because everyone all over the message boards and on social media is like, what's BN Sports? I've never heard of this network. And it was one of the networks that I have on Sling TV. I was like, oh, sports. Okay, Sling TV. Yeah, I get ESPN, but I get a couple of other things, too. What's this BN Sports? Oh, cool. We got some soccer happening. Oh, great. I got to watch UCF on here. So. Um, so yeah, they do have the Conference USA um, package. Um, this is a a weak. Let's be honest. This is a weak FIU team right now. Uh, right now they are eighty sixth in the country in passing, a hundredth in rushing, a hundred and twenty sixth in scoring, and ninety fourth in uh, in points allowed. That said, the all time series between these two squads is two and two. And that includes last year's opener, where we lost to them, uh, 15 to 14. And that includes back in 2011, the first meeting down in Miami, when they beat us 17-10. Mario Cristobal was the head coach at FIU at the time. And that was when we were rudely introduced to the likes of T.Y. Hilton, who was FIU's best player at the time. Knights won both meetings in 2012 and 2013. 2013 was a 38-0 win. But, uh, you know, all of a sudden you can't sleep on this team if you think that, you know, freshman quarterback with a freshman with with a lot of freshmen alongside him in the offensive unit going on the road for a road start for the first time. Uh, What do you think about this one? Is this going to be tougher than we think? Well, you mentioned their struggles on offense for FIU. They've been a turnover machine on offense. And that's where I think this defense for UCF, I think, could be aggressive and dominate on Saturday night. I think that's what I'm looking forward to seeing. 
You know, FIU is lacking some confidence right now. I think UCF has a chance if they can get off to a good start and protect the football and play a clean game. I think they will win this game. Uh, I think they're the better team. They're favored by the experts. Uh, we haven't said that in a while. <laughs> yeah. So that feels good. Five-point uh, favorite. And that started off, I believe, at one or two points. So people have been jumping on UCF. And when I say favorite, obviously, I mean against an FBS opponent. Obviously, UCF was favored against South Carolina State. But, uh, yeah, I, I feel pretty confident. I mean, I've been down there for a UCF-FIU game. That's not an intimidating place. Uh, in fact, I wouldn't be surprised if UCF fans outnumbered FIU fans, to be quite honest with you. They certainly did. And when I was there in 2013, you mentioned that 38 to nothing game. Now, you mentioned the VN Sports, by the way. I, I do have that channel. Many people have it. Bright, if you're a Bright House uh, Network customer, you have that channel. It's in the Trust 800. us, it's on there somewhere. <laughs> and I know about it because I've watched that channel because you're right. They carry soccer. In fact, I watched Copa America 2015 in Chile was – held on that channel. So uh, I've got it ready to roll. Mark, uh, Brett Romberg, former Miami Hurricane uh, offensive lineman, will be the analyst for that game, I believe. So I think Donovan McNabb, your boy, Syracuse alum, will be in the studio. He'll be in the studio in that coverage. So um, I think this is an important game for UCF in that I think this is a game that I think rightfully fans expect to get a victory here. And if they play well, they should. And if they do, Two and two in September to me is about what uh, realistically what you were kind of hoping for. And uh, I think you would take it two and two going into conference. Here is all right. This is what's great about being sports uh, broadcast crew. The studio crew is uh, is is Jeremy St. Louis, along with Donovan McNabb, O.J. McDuffie and Keyjana Carter. O.J. McDuffie, former Dolphin great and Penn State Nittany line as yep. is. Kijana Carter. The now here's the best part. The in-game crew, Matt Martucci, Brett Romberg, and sideline reporter Jordan Daigle. Matt Martucci, get this. I gotta I'm gonna have to reach out to him because he was uh we both went to Syracuse at the same time, Matt Martucci <laughs> and I. He was an undergrad, I was a grad, and I was a TA for a couple of his classes. So I know Matt Martucci going back ten years. And uh real pro. By the way, Matt Martucci uh, cut his teeth doing uh, radio work for St. Joseph's in Philadelphia. One of the nicest guys in the business, and he's one of the and he was one of the nicest people in all of Syracuse too, and what and a real funny dude too. So he's going to do a great job uh, for uh, for that telecast on UCF. I'm looking forward to see uh, to seeing and hearing Matt uh, do this game. So a little. Uh, Inside baseball for you UCF fans out there. So ah, broadcast info there. I love yeah, it. yeah, and 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 fellow Syracuse graduate too. So um, That's a lot. him and Donovan McNabb. Yeah, another Philly guy, Donovan McNabb too. So I I, I think that I'm I'm just a little bit scared of the as far as UCF is concerned. I'm a little bit scared of the overconfidence factor. I don't think the young team will be overconfident. I think the concern is do they play a sloppy game. Do yeah. the fumbles continue to happen? Do they beat themselves, uh, I think, is what you're saying. Correct. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's a big part of it. Uh, and give FIU short fields. But that's to me, that's the recipe if you're for an FIU victory. And uh, that would be disappointing. So you hope that this team can improve on their Maryland performance and protect the football. That's going to be what everybody's going to be interested in seeing. Uh, I think if UCF can get off to a good start, I think they can go ahead and win handily. 
I feel like it's going to be one of two games. It's going to be one of those where either UCF plays very well and they kind of pull away in the second half and win pretty uh, comfortably, or it's a sloppy, ugly game that comes down to the wire. Here's uh, Coach Frost talking about Mackenzie Milton heading into this uh, football game. We're, we're excited to have all our quarterbacks back up and completely healthy, um, but I think Mackenzie gives us the best chance to win this week. Mackenzie can turn uh, lemons into lemonade really quick. Um, we've seen him do it all fall camp. Uh, actually, you guys haven't seen anything yet. Uh, some of the stuff that he's pulled off uh, in fall camp was amazing. But again, now he has to learn to dial that in. Uh, we want to take the wild out of him without taking the playmaker ability out of him. Well, it's interesting when he says, you know, boy, you guys ain't seen nothing yet. And I don't want to see him get too flashy right now. I think we saw enough of that against Maryland. I just want him to take care of the ball. But I think you're right. What you said right before um, we rolled the bite is, you know, if it gets sloppy and if Milton gets sloppy again, this game's going to be a lot closer than people think. I still think UCF wins. But you don't want to get stuck in a close game on the road with a team that starts to build momentum in the second half, and then they force you to fumble, then they force you to make a mistake, and then you're playing right into their hands. Because, I mean, they're 0-3, and uh, teams don't want to go, you know, I mean, obviously they don't want to go 0-4, so they're they're probably going to be a little pissed right now. So, um, yeah, I'd like to see UCF execute well. Get up on them early and stay up on them early, and just keep the pedal to the metal. And I think I think we're going to see what UCF fast is all about in this game, if uh, if things go well. Um, but that comes to, it comes back to taking care of the ball, right? Yes, that's the key stat. Tell me what the turnover stat category uh, stats look like at the end of the game, and I'll tell you how the game went. So yeah, I agree with hundred percent with that. All right, so UCF and FIU, 7 p.m. Saturday on Be In Sports. Check your local cable networks uh, for availability. It is on Bright House, and it is on Sling TV if you're a cord cutter like me. So, um, all right, I'm looking forward to that, and that should be good. And I think once we get through there, obviously if UCF wins the game, you're at 2-2 two and two heading into conference play. Is this pretty much, This is pretty much where we expected UCF to be, right? Yes. Yes, I think that's what I was. You were hoping for two and two would be the goal. Uh, get back on the win column, and uh, you know, obviously, you expected the loss to Michigan, and I think the Maryland game you were hopeful. And uh, look, it was a toss-up game, and it just didn't work out. But yeah, two and two going in the conference, and, and you know, young team, very pivotal. I mean, and you look at the conference; they go at East Carolina to start off, which is going to be a tough game. ECU has played pretty well. They should have beaten South Carolina. They kind of self-destructed. Yeah, turning the ball over as a bunch of times in that game. They had over 500 yards of offense, but I think they turned it over like five, six times. Uh, some ridiculous number. Otherwise, they would have won at South Carolina. They've already beaten NC State. We know that Greenville is a very difficult place to play. I've been there. The good news for UCF is it's a noon kickoff, which I think will help them. And then after that, you got a Tulane team that's struggling a lot. So, um, yeah, I think there's opportunities as the season goes on for UCF to pick up wins. But again, it all, I think, is pivotal based on this Saturday getting that win and feeling good about yourself going into conference at 2-2. Two and two. All right, so that's what we're going to be looking for with UCF and FIU this Saturday. Uh, stick around because coming up next, 
We're going to talk a little news on the UCF-USF rivalry front. It's officially official now. We'll tell you what we mean in just a second. This is the Black and Gold Banneret Podcast. We're back after this. Hello, Night Nation. This is Andrew Fegley. This is Trey Strelka with the UCF Nightline Podcast, the original, the number one rated UCF sports podcast. You can follow us on Twitter and Facebook. On Twitter, it's UCF underscore Nightline and at www.ucfnightlinepodcast.com. Be sure to subscribe to us as well on iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud, and YouTube. And when you get sick of listening to these guys, make sure you look us up. Don't forget, that's the UCF Nightline Podcast. Go Knights! Charge on! Now, back to the Black and Gold Banneret Podcast. Yeah, thanks a lot, Trace. Well, Eric and I can say that we're the fastest-growing UCF podcast on the Internet. So <laughs> thanks to uh, Andrew and Andrew and Trace uh, for that promo again. They're, they're good guys. They're, they, they, we, we, they, they're just messing with us here and there. But it's I know that uh, Andrew and Trace want you uh, to be a part of their po- – to call in on their post-game show. You know, they're doing that post-game show now after – I know, UCF. yeah. They're doing uh, road games uh, road live. Games. Live, yeah. yeah. So, um, for more information with those guys, like we said, go to UCF Nightline um, and check it out. And see if I can call in with those guys, maybe surprise them from the FIU game. So, uh, all right. Speaking of rivalries, uh, this one a less friendly rivalry, but uh, the news came down. Uh, we're recording this on Wednesday night, the twenty first of September, and uh, the news came down that it's officially official. The war on I-4, the rivalry between UCF-USF, is apparently now totally a thing. Um, here's what happened. Obviously, it's no joke over time, UCF and USF have had this unofficial rivalry, if you will, going for years now. You know, Tampa, Orlando, two state schools of similar size, similar ages, um, going about it, uh, going at it in all different um sports that they have, but the athletic departments, and this is a smart move, I really do think, on the part of both, and props to Danny White, props to USF as well for agreeing to do this, because um, it took them long enough. The, um, the war on I-4 between UCF and USF is, an, is going to be an annual true event. Here's, what's go- here's how they're going to work it. They're going to have trophies for this. There's going to be a trophy for the football game. And there's going to be a trophy also for the overall rivalry across all sports that both schools play. Being that we're in conference now with each other, um, this is going to be a um, you know it's it's easy to do this now, right? It wasn't before. Here's how it works: in the sports where both schools compete, each sport every year is going to be worth six points. And the school that get, and and depending on the sport, each team one or the other will get some share of the six points for um, to go toward the overall rivalry trophy that will be given out at the end of the year. So, for example, uh, baseball we play each other six times, one point for each of the six games. Men's basketball we play each other twice, three points for each game there. Um, even women's cross country, six points go to the higher finisher at the American Athletic Conference Championship. Wow. Football now, gets so- yeah, f- uh, football gets six points to the winner of that one game. Softball, two points each for three games. Really, two points? Yes, wow. two po- two points is at stake for each game. Uh, so that adds up to six. Um, 
Tennis, six points to the head-to-head winner or the higher finish at the AAC Championship. Um, Women's track, three points to the higher finish at the AAC Indoor and three points to the outdoor higher finisher. Um, Volleyball plays twice, and UCF got the first three points of this rivalry uh, in the new format uh, this evening. We're recording this, like I said, on Wednesday night, September the 21st um, in UCF sweeping USF. We'll talk about that in a little bit. But I like this, man. They really thought this through. Um, By the way, the tiebreaker is the NCAA graduation success rate. But... uh, (laughs) Uh, but right. I, I the the when I when I looked at this I'm like oh wow you congratulations you're acknowledging something that's already been happening, but I like the way the two schools figured this out, and uh, and are making this you know really a, a genuine rivalry between the two schools. It's not just who beat who where. Now we're going to keep track of it, and there's going to be some hardware to pass out too. I like the way they're determining this. Um, yeah, I think it's going to be fun. What do you think? No, oh, I love it. I mean, it's, it's, I've been clamoring for this. I mean, I, I mean, you know, I didn't come we up with both have been for a while now. Yes. And, and what's exciting about this, what I like about this is now you said there's two trophies, one for the individual football game. will get a trophy. The winner of the game will get a trophy, which in college football, a lot of teams have trophies for annual games. Yeah. So I like that. And then I like that the other sports are involved because I think, that's going to create more interest in the other sporting matchups. Like all of a sudden, you know, it was funny, Jeff, because you were at the match. I was following it. And on social media, I mean, you would not believe how many more people all of a sudden were interested in what was going on in the volleyball match than normal. Uh, and I think you're going to see that with the other sports. Anytime UCF and USF plays, people are going to keep track because people don't, you know, they don't like each other in this situation from the school standpoint. So um, I like that. I'm going to give a shout out. To Allison Kime. Now, Allison Kime's a former UCF softball pitcher. She's married to Pete Trella. They're the Trella family. In fact, she's now pregnant, by the way. Congrats, Congrats Allie. Allie. Yep, yep. I'm sure you and uh, Steph can give her some advice uh, what to, what's, what's ahead. But uh, so get she's married sleep to now. Pete. <laughs> yeah, get your sleep now. She's married to Pete, who's a USF graduate. So they've been doing this traditional bet since, uh, obviously, they've, uh, been, I think, the last two or three years. Uh, two years, I believe it was, where they have a bet on the football game where the winner gets to put up their school's flag up outside their house. Nice, which I've uh, been amused by that. And I, so I, I, that's kind. Of, so I think you're seeing more, uh, that's kind of the spirit of it, and I like it from both schools. I like the fact that both schools are working together on this. I think it's been long overdue because. This matchup, regardless of the sport, is a moneymaker. I mean, let's talk about – I mean, we've talked at nausea about the football matchup and how – I mean, usually that's your big money ticket game. Now, I'm not a fan of the game being played on Thanksgiving weekend. I think it hurts attendance, among other things. But that's a that's a story for another day and another time. Regardless, uh, this is the game everybody circles. And um, now, you know, and I think it's adding some bragging rights. Uh, I think it's a good positive for both sides. I think both all the sports will benefit from this. Uh, I think there will be a lot of peak interest in these matchups. And look, I also have said that UCF and USF working together help, I think, is their best shot in getting to the Big 12 or beyond, you know, down the future. 
as much as both sides in the past have tried to work against each other and try to be uh, solo, I think in the in the climate that we're in now, Jeff, in college athletics with the future, with realignment and things, and traveling partner partnership being a factor in things, I've always felt that UCF needed USF, and USF definitely have needed UCF. Uh, they could help each other move move along and, and get into better positions down the road for their each respective athletic department. So, and I think the current administrations on both sides recognize that. And I think that's why we're at where we're at tonight with the with this big news with the this war on I four. Big props to Danny White. Big yeah. props also to Mark Harlan, who's the USF athletics. Absolutely, got to give that guy credit too. Um, so those of you who are wondering, wait a minute, wait a minute, how many trophies are we handing out? This is from uh, Ileana Limone in the Orlando Sentinel. Um, the trophy for they the both schools sponsored the trophy. Okay. The overall all-sports trophy, which will be handed out at the end of the academic year, will be shaped like the I-4 sign and will be displayed on the winning campus for the year after it's won. Now, the winning football team in the rivalry matchup will also be awarded a smaller version of the same trophy. So there is a football trophy. There is also an all-sports trophy. The all-sports trophy is bigger. It's going to look like the I-4 shield. They haven't unveiled the design of it yet, but I can't wait to see it. So it should be um, – this should be pretty cool. So we'll be keeping track of this um, as it goes forward. Let me ask you this. You said just now that – you know what I think I'm hearing you say is that these schools are better together than they are apart. I agree. Is this sort of an official – acknowledgement that with in the context of conference expansion that these two schools are essentially now a package deal i think they are giving you that option in that hey we're you know you guys are concerned about traveling you know partnership and you know who's paired up with who hey it's easy to come here pick if you pick both of us, you can come and travel to Orlando and bust to Tampa and make a weekend out of it in any sport you want. <laughs> you know? You can't do that if you do, let's say, UCF in Connecticut or USF in Cincinnati. You can't do any of that. You can't do Connecticut in Cincinnati is not a bus. But UCF and USF is. And I don't think it's an accident, Jeff, if you saw the press release. What was the thing they highlighted the most in the press release? Oh, I you know I just put it down. Um, what was the thing that you that stood out to you? What jumped out to me in the press release is how on the I four they're the number four largest me, uh, market. If you could, right. if you combine the two markets, it, that's, and I, I did see that. You're right. If you combine the Orlando DMA and the the Orlando Daytona Beach Melbourne DMA and the Tampa St. Yep. Pete DMA. It adds up to – if you made them one large market, it would be the fourth largest media market in the country yep. behind, if I'm not mistaken, New York, L.A., and Chicago. Yeah, I think that sounds right. So why would you mention that in the press release? What would be the goal of doing that in the press release, Jeff? Hmm. Maybe you want to impress certain really people? really hard. <laughs> <laughs> I, I mean, do you not agree? I, I, and I, like I said, I, I really do. I think they're – and I, I'm, I've – been saying that I think both sides 
need each other. I, I've always felt that with when the two schools, and I don't want to get into whose fault is it, who he said, she said type of thing. But there's, you know, people as well documented the history of the two schools not getting along, not wanting to play in football, you know, conference situations. I mean, going back to when USF started football and UCF supposedly didn't want to play USF and then USF didn't want to play UCF when USF was in the Big East and UCF was in Conference USA and USF got in over UCF and things like that and uh, and, and uh, on and on and on. And now I think both sides realize they're in the same conference and I, I don't think they're naive to see what the climate is. And we've talked about this in the past with the Big 12 expansion and realignment and People kind of try to be dismissive and they get angry about it. And, oh, how can you say that? That doesn't traveling partnership is a factor in business. Traveling partnership in yeah. all sports is a big factor in this. Especially the non revenue sports. And we touched upon this before with uh, exactly. the quote from the West Virginia AD saying, Oh well, travel you know travel partners is not a thing. Well, of course it's not to you, West Virginia AD, because everyone has to travel ac- exactly. practically across a time zone to get to you. Um, it, the, exactly. No, this is the, it. It is a thing for these non-revenue sports, um, which you got a field out there, obviously. And the more money you can save on travel, because we're going to be seeing tighter and tighter budgets as the years go by, the better off you are. Correct. So why not if you're UCF and you're USF and you want you both want the same thing, you're both of you seek probably want to get to that Big Twelve or get into a big conference that has uh, financial benefits. Then instead of you know bickering it against each other and and trying to you know pull hairs, because to me, that you join together that might make it more appealing for conferences. Oh. Really? You're a top four market if we had both of you. Well, that's interesting. Oh, it's easy to get to Orlando and Tampa back and forth for our soccer teams and volleyball teams. Wow, that's pretty good. So I do think that's a factor. And I'll say this. Let's say UCF and USF don't get into a Big 12 or Big Conference. Guess what? You have each other. That's what you're going to have to build, and you're going to have to still help it build your athletic departments. And Danny White has said this, and I have 100% behind him and agree on this. The goal is to become a top 25 department yep. in all sports. What better way to do that than to have a competition with your fiercest rival? Doesn't that make you better when you're going up against your rival? Oh, hey, the stakes are high. You better get your game on. So I think there's positives all uh, across the board on this, and I think there's a lot of positive thinking behind this and and financially and and, and then from an interest standpoint. I I think it's great. Funny headline about the story on the uh, USF SB Nation site. Um, Their headline is called the Daily Stampede, and their headline is USF officially acknowledges that UCF exists. (laughs) <laughs> I also don't you think also what's interesting about this, because there's some people that have speculated. What if one of them gets into a big conference and the other one gets left back? What happens? And I think in a way, I think this mess, this announcement tells you that regardless of what happens, I feel like this rivalry will continue now. Don't you? I like, let's say, yeah, like if, I don't think they know, would go through all this effort. Correct. If uh, they thought that it would disintegrate in a short period of time. Exactly. 
Exactly. Agreed 100% with that. And I think both sides realize, too, hey, we need each other probably, would help each other out. Maybe we could help each other get to where we both want to go. Or And or, hey, if it, things didn't work out and we get shut out, now at least we have each other to build from and help each other kind of take the next step. So maybe in eight, nine years, your program's still very attractive and maybe options will create for you even then. So it, I think it's great from a competitive standpoint, from a marketing standpoint. I think there's – I don't see any ne- I don't see any negatives on this at all. I mean I, I laugh at some people like, well, I don't want to be acknowledged with them and whatever. Ah, like, you guys, t- those well, people are just being jerks. That's all. Yeah, you're both on the same side in this boat. Um, so I'm for it. I'm excited about it. Um, and now I think if you're a UCF fan or you know that other team, you circle every game that they play in, in major sports. And I, see, I see what you did there. High. I see what you did there. That other team. <laughs> Whatever. Whatever. That other team out right there by the I four corridor. You know that'll be fun. It'll be fun. I mean that's. You were there. You were at the first one. Now you could yeah. say you were at the first one official I four battle, I guess. Nice segue. Uh, <laughs> to volleyball where UCF in front of a big time crowd, and you can describe it better than I can. You were there, I was not. Beats USF in straight sets, which I'll be honest, surprised me only because in talking to Todd, and you've talked to Todd, and Todd has even talked about this openly how impressed he is with USF, and they've been impressive. And UCF uh, took it to them in one in three sets. Yeah, so um, I'm actually recording this. You could probably hear my voice is a little raspy right now, but we're recording this actually just a couple hours after I was doing PA for this match, uh, the Wednesday night match. Um, UCF does get the sweep over USF, three uh, three uh, sets to zero. Um, it's... Uh, I don't know any way to say it other than um, USF just did not come out ready to play in this match, and UCF did. Um, They had, uh, or at least UCF had, um, their defense in this match was outstanding. Um, Held USF to just 062 hitting, to just an 062 hitting percentage. Uh, UCF had the advantage in total kills, 47 to 27. Um, Jayla Hervey had 19 kills. She was outstanding tonight. Nearly a she's 20- raised her game, hasn't she? Oh yeah, she has, has raised her game to a different level. Yeah, she has. Uh, she has doubled up on herself from last year. I mean, she was pretty good last year, but this year she's much more mature. And um, uh, she's she's playing like a woman possessed out there right now for UCF, which is just uh, really fun to see. And that Kia Bright, who's just been coming back off that knee injury has been such the team player. She's so intense out there too. She had eight kills and a block. Um, but even better, she was, uh, she's been fantastic on defense as well in terms of, um, in terms of her defense out there. Uh, I'm pulling up the box score right now. Um, 15 digs, which was second on the team for somebody who's basically last year coming into last year was your number one offensive option. She's turned herself into a really good defensive option as well. Um, uh, and then UCF has been getting some great help from uh, uh, a lot of the younger players on the roster in particular, um, Ali Sable, true freshman, uh, eight kills on the night. Um, she's been a great presence up front. Um, 
Knights also got some help uh, defensively from uh, Jeannie Wesney, who had uh, three blocks. Um, didn't have as good an offensive game as she uh, has had in the past, but um, she's a problem that um, other schools, that, that other teams do have to deal with. Uh, and then the atmosphere in there was electric. You know th- that you know, the volleyball venue is in the old arena. It's not as big as they used to. They sealed off the top half of the seats on either side for for basketball courts. So it's only like the lower bowl, if you will, there now. And um, the entire band was there. Um, they had uh, chicken and waffles, which was great. They had they had like fried chicken served in these um, waffle cones, which they're going to do on uh, Wednesday nights. Um, and um, they were passing out bobblehead dolls. There was a lot of, a lot of students out there, and um, I, I wish there were more students. Quite frankly, um, because when that gym is packed, it's it's a tight tight place it's like playing a volleyball match in a phone booth and it gets loud and it gets hot and the atmosphere's um gets really tense in there and i think that that's um that's a real advantage for ucf because it it, it just teeters on the edge of chaos sometimes and that's the fun part about it is that it's it's a very it must be very disorienting if you're a road team but usf came in or they that's a senior laden team um, they got held to 12 points in the second set, um, and they they had no shot in this match, no shot at all. I don't know if it was something that they weren't doing or what, um, but UCF's defense was outstanding. And then they got a quick turnaround, 48 hours. Todd Dagenet's team has to take on uh, Memphis. Here's Todd talking about the um, USF match uh, and what went right for the Knights and what went wrong for the Bulls. The coaching staff gets a ton of the credit for closing the gap. Um, the atmosphere, the band get a ton of credit for closing the gap. Um, and then, of course, our players who just went out and actually executed a game plan um, that, that we had put together, um, they executed it flawlessly. And I think it shows um, in our numbers where you see 16 kills, 13 kills, 18 kills, I mean, that's a pretty high amount of kills for a team that I honestly, still to this moment, I, I still can't believe the scores were what they were, but to honest, I honestly believe that that team has an opportunity to compete for a championship in this conference. And um, I will still believe that all the way through just because of the athleticism experience um, and players that they have on that side of the net. Um, I, that for some unexplicable reason, we, we, we just got him tonight for some reason. Well, he's right about that. And, and the other thing that he talked about, too, was, and I asked him uh, this question as well, is, you know, Todd was at uh, Michigan. He was an assistant in Michigan. He was an assistant, or Michigan State, rather. Sorry. Boy, if, if I got away with that, he'd be really upset with me. <laughs> and he um, and he was also an assistant at USC, playing UCLA every year. And I asked him um, if he, you know, what he thought about the UCF USF rivalry in the context of those other classic college rivalries that we're used to that cut across sports. And uh, here's what Todd had to say about it. I thought this was good. Yeah, it's right up there. It, you know, when I was at Michigan State, it was a state pride flag. And you would win the flag and with the year that you won it. And it was half Michigan, half Michigan State. And it would hang in your gym when you would win it. 
Then when I was out on the West Coast, there was a trophy that went back and forth. And, um, you know, it's, I'm glad. I'm just, I'm absolutely thrilled that the two athletic departments got together and decided that there was time for this to happen. So uh, hopefully it's something that keeps up. And, um, you know, hopefully both teams continue to get better and better where both teams are at the top of the conference year in and year out. Well, you know, he buys in because he's, he's, he's all about these kinds of things. And, and Todd is, uh, I think, kind of a, a college sports traditionalist in the truest sense. And um, I think he's passed that along to his players. And he's the right guy to have, you know, selling this rivalry as one of the guys that are out there. Um, his team right now is 11-3. and three. And they got this match coming up, a quick turnaround, like I mentioned, against Memphis on Friday night. Um, that should be a good one. 7 p.m. at the venue against Memphis. Uh, come, <clears throat> excuse me. Come on out for that match because um, it's, it's no question that the team just plays a lot better when they have that, that kind of a atmosphere that we saw uh, tonight, Wednesday night, against USF. So uh, if they can replicate that against uh, Memphis – and in the, all the other home matches, that can be um, this could be a really uh, special season. Um, you've been in there for this kind of a volleyball for this kind of match. I yeah. love the event, the way the venue is um, when it's a when, when the building's got a lot of juice in it, as they like to say. So, um, no question about it. I'll be curious to see how they come out against Memphis too now because you just beat USF. It's a big rivalry match. Emotional win. win. Absolutely. Do you come out flat? Do you come out overconfident? Do you come out? Very interesting to see how this team responds against Memphis. My question to you, does this victory in a way is a statement that this team is a conference championship contender or is it too early for that? You know, I think it does, but Todd was uh, very uh, adamant in downplaying that. Um that you know we're going to have one more shot. Uh, I don't know. He kept saying, "I don't know what happened tonight. I don't know how we <laughs> won the match. I really don't." And, and I was like, "Well, gee, coach, I could tell you how you won. You, how you won the match? Uh, you, you 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 hit two fifty two, which is pretty good, and they hit oh sixty two for the match, and they weren't ready to play. But I think, but obviously, there's a reason for that. It's because you know he's saying that you know they came out not ready. He couldn't say that, but." You know, USF was not ready to play that match. They're going to be ready when UCF plays them again in Tampa later this season. And that's, like I said, a very senior-laden USF team. Um, they're not going to play that poorly when we get them again on the home floor and the rest of the uh, AAC um, season. Quick look at the standings. So right now, UCF is at 11-3. East Carolina's start out hot. They're 10-0. Uh, Tulsa's eleven and one, UConn's nine and two, USF is nine and four now after the loss tonight. Temple's off to a seven and three start. Memphis and Tulane are eight and four. So, um, this is what we talked about in the volleyball season, man. These two, uh, th- th- this this conference is wide open, and now we're going to start to see some. Uh, uh, we're gonna we're gonna start to see these teams mix it up against each other. And yeah. figure out which team's really the best. I think this was a good statement for UCF, but it's only as good. You know, Todd likes to emphasize. You know, you got to get your Sunday wins this this week. They don't uh, necessarily finish on the Sunday, but they've got the Friday match forty eight hours later, and um, that I think is going to be the key match against Memphis. 
Yeah, because I think if you get that, a 2-0 and start is huge for this team moving forward. And and a, really a credit to Todd and his staff, and in particular, Jenny Maurer, first year yeah. assistant coach, replacing Michelle Chapman, who moved on, living out west. And, uh, boy, I think the team hasn't missed a beat. They have been uh, top-notch. She's so focused, locked in. And it was funny, I tried to... <laughs> After the LSU match, uh, what was it, a couple of weeks ago, after a tough loss, I tried to say hello, and she was so zoned in, you know. Yeah. She just was just, like, still just agitated that they lost that match. Just an intense competitor, being a former player herself and a former head coach as well. So, um, like I said, I think the conference is wide open, like you said. I mean, Cincinnati's very good. They got tremendous talent. We both saw them last year. Uh, I think they still have the best player in the conference, Jordan Thompson. Temple is very good. I know Coach Dagenet has talked about them. That match, by the way, UCF will host to Temple November 18th. That game that will be televised in the American Digital Network. So the conference thought highly enough of it yeah. that they picked up that match to be televised. So um, you know, I, I, this is a league that is very good. I think it's the strongest, and we've talked about this in the past. It's the strongest the league has been since the American Conference, uh, you know, existed uh, and got created. And another guy I wanted to give credit to. There's there's some really unsung um, heroes on that coaching staff. Isaac Raphael, who's a former head, oh, another former head coach, by the way, um, from Bethune Cookman, um, who's a volunteer assistant for UCF now, has been really instrumental um, in uh, on the staff as well. Mike G, who's been there for a while, um, has done a fantastic job as well. And uh, lest we forget, you know, also the the director of ops who also, you know, they're, they're not just, they don't just do the director of operations things. They're also kind of, they're also basically assistant coaches in their own right. Uh, Mark Neef, who's out there and a former UCF volleyball player, um, Jade Hayes, who's back with UCF um, as the assistant director of ops. So this is big staff, a lot of folks that can uh, help Todd out um, and help the players out this year. And I think it's been paying off so far. So, and Hey, they're, they're, Two, they lost two matches in five sets, two of the three losses. Um, one of them to Southern Illinois on the road. On their in, court. On their in, court. On their court. And then the other, of course, we talked about the LSU match, um, which the Knights fought back to for, fight the fifth set. Things go a little bit differently. You're looking at a team that has one loss right now. So I think UCF Volleyball is in a good spot. They're right where they want to be uh, heading into the first part of the uh, conference season. All right. Uh, let's talk a little soccer. We had, uh, earlier tonight, um, rough patch for, uh, men's soccer. They come up short against, uh, uh, UNF at home. Um, this was after a four, coming off a four and one win against Jacksonville last Saturday. The UNF game, they lost, uh, two to one. By the way, this was after that Jacksonville game, by the way, there's a great highlight from Matias Puzolo, who somehow, I've never seen this before. Uh, he's a right-footed uh, kicker. He's got a corner kick down in the lower right-hand corner from the TV perspective, and he manages to knock it directly into the side of the goal and scored one of UCF's four goals doing so. is untouched. I've never seen a guy slice a ball like that, so I'm going to put a link to it, that. Um, it made it on ESPN? Made it on ESPN. It, made- it was a Sports Center top 10 play, so make sure you check that out. I'm going to put it in the show notes for you. Um, yeah. But uh, this game, UCF fell down 2 nothing to uh, UNF. Um, Richard Amon uh, got UCF's lone goal in the uh, 60th minute. But uh, despite um, a total of 13 shots, UCF couldn't 
um, knotted up uh, late. Uh, and uh, men's soccer right now, off to a bit of a tough start. They're 1-4 right now. The schedule's just been a total mess. They've had two matches canceled. Um, and now they're starting conference play uh, with USF on September 24th. Um, and a chance to really turn it around in the in the in the uh, serious part of the season now when we get to conference. So um, try and make it out there for that 7 p.m. September 24th. That's this coming Saturday as well. Women's soccer um, had a difficult game of their own. Uh, we mentioned uh, the last episode that they were heading up to Florida, up to Gainesville. They lose that game uh, three to two. Um, in dramatic fashion, they were down one nothing at the half. Both teams scored twice in the second. The Knights actually fought back from down two nothing to tie it uh, on a goal by Morgan Ferrara and then another one by Bridget Callahan. But then uh, late heroics from the Gators, Samantha Chung, scoring her uh, first goal of the season in the 88th minute, and uh, and and UF comes away with the victory. But now UCF women's soccer heads to uh, conference play. Um, starting with September 29th, uh, which is a Thursday night, next Thursday against Houston at 7 p.m. Houston should be pretty good, too, Elo. So um, where do you want to be right now? Do you want to be where Brian Cunningham is, where you can point to the um, conference season coming up and say, hey, guys, new season, new attitude, let's get after it? Or do you want to be where women's soccer is right now with their record at 5-4, and four, but all four of their losses to ranked teams? I would rather be Coach Sahadek because you mentioned Florida's a top five team, Carolina, Duke, top five teams. And the thing that makes intrigued, I watched that Florida man. This UCF team right now has got firepower offensively. Yes, which, they do. Uh, you know, that was one of my bigger questions going into the season. You know, they lost their leading scorer, Spivey graduated last year. And, and you know, really, since Coach Sahadek's been here, we've been more of a defensive style team, more of dependent on winning one nothing and 2-1 games. But this team has shown that they can get scoring from anybody. I mean, they got uh, anybody could score. Rodriguez is their leading scorer, but they got a bunch of players that could score goals. And time and time again, they you know they, they would fall behind by two goals. The Florida match, again, they fell behind 2 nothing earlier. Like, oh, this could be a long night. They came back and tied it and actually really outplayed them in the second half. Unfortunately, I watched the match. Um, UCF couldn't clear a ball cleanly with about three, two minutes left and right into a Florida striker who hit it right off the post of the the, the goal and it bounced in. It was just unfortunate because UCF really was taking it to Florida. And that's the thing that I'm excited about is this team can attack. And there's no deficit this team hasn't faced that they can't overcome. They've overcome a two-goal deficit a couple times already this season. So the firepower from this offense, and as I've talked to some people at the UCF on campus on Saturday – when you go into conference, you know, you get in, it's funny, and that's cool in Tampa once again. They're playing, they're very good. Uh, and Connecticut, those are your big threats in the conference. But based on the schedule UCF's played, they won't, they won't see a team in the conference that they haven't seen. They're like, wow, this team's better than what we've seen so far. They've played some top teams, and I think they'll be ready for the conference. And they got off to a good start. But the thing that I'm intrigued and excited about is this team's got some firepower. They got to tweak some things defensively. And if they can do that, then I think this team's going to shot great shot to win the conference. And remember, the team that wins the regular season title, and this goes for both men and women's soccer, the team that wins the regular season title gets to host the conference tournament. Yes. So critical right now. You know, I, I um, Carol Rodriguez, by the way, um, 
has yeah. been so outstanding for UCF this year. Last year, she had 11 goals, which was tied for the team lead. Um, but this year, in 20 games, she scored 11 goals. This year, she scored seven in nine. So she has stepped up her scoring load um, to this point. She's it's got impressive. a lot of help, yeah. It's impressive because you going into the season, you knew that teams were going to focus on her, whereas last year – she kind of benefited from playing alongside Spivey, but she has proven that she's her, you know, she could score no matter what. That's been the big thing that's impressed me about her. Yeah, Morgan Ferrara and Courtney O'Connell right now tied for the t- for second on the team with three goals each. But um, also, you know, they've had some help as well up front with Hannah Debose and Carrie Lawrence, who each have four assists to lead the team. So um, they're in a good position right now. I I still think though, I am not. Um, I am not going to give up on men's soccer right now, even though they're at one and four. The preseason's been a mess because of the the canceled games. Um, they've had, uh, but if you look at the American standings right now, no one is running away with this thing at all in the overall. Temple right now is at five and two, Memphis and UConn at five and three. As we head into conference play, um, USF right now at three three and two. If the Knights can get some results here um, and just forget what they've had in non-conference play to this point because it's been, you know, all these other teams, they played seven, eight non-conference games. UCF's only played five. So you can throw that out and say, okay, well, let's just focus on the conference season. And I think Brian Cunningham's team is in a position to do that. Um, We know that they have enough firepower based on what we've seen before. They've lost some one-goal games, um, and those are coin flip games. Um, Not saying it's going to be easy, but... I don't think they're in as bad a shape as maybe people think. What do you think? As the old saying goes, once you get in the conference, you're zero and zero. Yeah. So it's a new season. It's what you do in conference. And if you take care of business in conference, this one and four start is a distant memory. And we've seen that teams do that before. I do think that the pre-conference hasn't gone their way from a – it's just I don't think they've been able to get into a rhythm. How can you – Yeah, know, they haven't. That's – that's exactly you said it better than I could. That's exactly what I was thinking. They just yeah. have not been able to get into a rhythm at all with two canceled games and then playing. Yeah. And not only that, but started out with four games on the road and then with four game and then with three games at home. Yeah. Well, and the thing was though, you had two. You had the weird cancellation there. You had a cancellation in Charlotte. You had to make up a game, and then you all of a sudden you're playing South Carolina, uh, yeah. and then you had the cancellation at Mercer. It's just been a weird start to the year. And uh, you've had to deal with non-soccer stuff like <laughs> cancellations. That that is a just you know that definitely uh, it has not kind of helped. And as a result, you haven't got you mentioned you haven't gotten the reps you were hoping for and do some different things. So uh, it is what it is. I thought they looked good on Saturday when they won. Yeah. Uh, so it's disappointing they couldn't build on that. You know, but you know, like, again, because of the ca- the schedule the way it's been with the the cancellation stuff, they haven't been able to play consecutive matches in short period of time either, which I probably was a factor. So um, now that you're getting to a routine schedule, I think their better soccer will be ahead of them. And that's what you want is you want your best soccer uh, during conference. You don't want to peak too early. So that's, that's the, the approach they'll take. You got to take. Yeah. Brian Cunningham, he's going to be, you know, obviously he's, he's going to be disappointed at that at, at how they've started off. But at the same time, it's like, okay, now we're, now we're in conference play. It's time to roll. 
All right, so the week ahead, men's soccer does have uh, USF, so that's another chance at six points right there. That's a big six-point match there, Eric Lopez. Uh, UCF at home against USF Saturday, September 24th at uh, 7 p.m. Of course, don't forget the uh, football game at FIU Saturday at 7 p.m. as well on BN Sports with Matt Martucci on the call, Syracuse alum. And, uh, and of course, volleyball as well. Friday night against Memphis. Make sure you come on out to that at the venue. What are you looking forward to uh, the most coming up, Eric? Oh, man, that is interesting. That's a toughie. I mean, I want to see how volleyball responds after the big win over USF, if they can build, continue that against Memphis. Curious how men's soccer does against USF. Uh, football, you know, McKenzie Melton getting his first road start. How does he handle that FIU defense, and does the team protect the football? I'm looking forward to uh, seeing that as well. So um, I'm not sure if there's one specific thing. It's a pretty good weekend, and you kind of intrigued by kind of a lot of interesting storylines with all the respective teams, really. Yeah, I'm looking forward to seeing uh, act number two for Mackenzie Milton. And, of course, I will be at volleyball, the uh, Memphis match. I want to see how, like you said, how they respond to it uh, to after winning this emotional uh, match that they had earlier tonight, this past Wednesday night, against uh, USF. All right, Eric, where can people catch you, and what do you have coming up? Check me out on Eric Lopez Elo on Twitter. I will be, of course, producing. Of course, I produce Tuck and O'Neill weekdays. Uh, you know, if you listened on the Thursday, September 22nd edition of Tuck and O'Neill, you're going to schedule to be joined by Kamar Aiken, Baltimore Raven wide receiver, will be on the show. Good. So uh, remember him and Bashad Perriman will be in Jacksonville this weekend. Talk about the things looking forward to. Seeing it going against Blake Bortles and the Jaguars are in a must-win situation. So that'll be an interesting storyline come Sunday in the pro side. Uh, I will be hosting the Sports Talk Florida Insider Show 4-6 to six on Saturday. Special start time, 4-6. to six. So we'll have a preview of the UCF-FIU game among the recap around the college football. Hosting the Football Insider Show Monday night, 6-7 to seven from downtown Orlando's Harry Buffalo. On Sports Talk 1080, the team Orlando following Tuck and O'Neill. So we'll recap a little bit of the UCF FIU game and look ahead towards the East Carolina game. So that's some of the work that uh, certainly we've been uh, that I'll be doing in the upcoming week or so. And uh, once again, I want to say before we go, a tremendous salute uh, this past Saturday. I know people are disappointed with the result, I guess, of the football game, but the atmosphere around it was tremendous, Jeff. Oh, yeah. 43,000 plus in the stands. Uh, I like the music that they're entering now in the stadium, a little bit more variety. Than the, maybe in the past. A little bit more player-friendly. Uh, you said it, not me. <laughs> uh, I, I especially attribute to whoever picked the John Cena theme music there to play. I, I, as a wrestling fan, I enjoyed that very much. Monster Motocross, Jeff, was fantastic. I got to watch that in the pregame. That was fantastic. How was that? I've been curious about that whole thing. I, that was enjoyable. I, I can actually share this uh, now. Uh, I was actually honored to... I was filling in on the uh, UCF football pregame show uh, this past Saturday, and my assignment was to check out what's going on around campus in the scenery. And I got to check out the monster motocross, which a lot of fans were really into. Uh, packed for that, you had Cowboy Mouth performing on the concert series on the other side by the IOA Plaza. But so you had Cowboy Mouth on one side, and then you had the monster motocross right by there. Uh, people were into it. The motorcycles flying through the air and everything. It was tremendous. Uh, and that was cool to hang out there. I got to see the football team do their little night walk, walking into the stadium right by IOA Plaza. 
that was fun. Uh, I thought a lot of the fans had a great time with that. I also got a chance to spend some time at the football barbecue uh, with the football letterman. I got a chance to catch up with the McCray brothers, Jeffrey. You're, you know them very yeah. well. The two offensive linemen, they were there. Josh Reese, I got a chance to talk to him. He's doing very well. They're all excited to be back and uh, following the program. Asante Samuel was there. I didn't get to talk to him. He wasn't there when I was there in that area, but he was there and he was at the game. Uh, so it was great to see a lot of the former night players there as well. And um, What were they saying about how things have changed this year? Well, I think they're excited. They're excited about where the program's headed. They're excited about the jerseys, uh, you know, all the things that Scott Frost is doing. I think Scott Frost and the, the program has been more, you know, has been open to the the former players. Uh, I, you know, the spring game had a bunch of former players there. We've seen Blake Bortles. Blake was at the opener against South Carolina State. So I, I think it's been much, you know, very positive, uh, for at least from what I gathered and talking to the guys. Uh, that it was very positive and uh, certainly. It was great because I saw Kevin Smith swing by there before he had obviously had his commitments he had to do. Um, I I think it's very positive, and uh, um, I expect that to just continue to be on the positive side moving forward. I think they're a little jealous. Jealous? (laughs) Yeah, I think some of the guys are a little jealous. Like, man, look at all the stuff, all the cool stuff that we have. We didn't get the chance to do this when we were playing. Uh, well, I feel like that's always the that, case. You know? I always feel like yeah, alums will always say that, right? I mean, uh, they, they enhance certain things like, man, where was this when I had it? Right. I always hear So you're right. I think there's some truth to that. But I think the guys are embracing it because also, you know, they still have some friends who are still on the team and they want them to succeed too. I think that's a good thing. You know, there's still that. And, uh, yes. and, and I think that they've been, um, that, you know, the, they've been, um, I think Kyle Israel was talking about this on the Nightline podcast too. You know, they've been a lot more open to, you know, guys coming around and hanging around the football office and checking things out, too. So credit to uh, Scott Frost and the staff on that, too. By the way, um, a little news to drop here for you. October 15th, the homecoming game, the uh, Tailgate Concert Series, Better Than Ezra, will be performing prior to the uh, prior to the Temple game, Saturday, October 15th. No announcement of a concert for the previous game, which is actually the next home game against Tulane, but that's because it's on a Friday night at 8 p.m., so I don't know if they're going to have a concert there um, or not because of the fact that it's a Friday night and people are going to be coming to the game from work. So, uh, But the Saturdays, they're going to have, uh, Saturday, October 15th, they're going to have uh, Better Than Ezra, who is the favorite band of, uh, of, uh, of, my, friend, of my friend Christina Beck, um, so I wonder if, uh, Brian and Christine are going to make it to that game. So we'll see. But anyway, wow. you should play, you should play like a better than Ezra song then and, and tribute to them leading up to that game, I guess. I don't uh, know. Well, the, it's going to be hard enough. If, if Brian and Christina go to that game, it's going to be hard enough to keep, keep them from, keep her from running on stage at this point. So, uh, hey, but I want to give them a shout out on that. Got, you could get a close view of the band. They'll get a good view. Oh, I also wanted to get another shout-out, shout by the way, before we go. Jimmy Skiles from UCF Marketing. I talked to him today at the volleyball match. He yeah. says, you know, I listen, and, I, and I, I listen to you guys, especially when, you know, when I'm home taking care of business or I'm, uh, or I'm you know, or driving in the car, whatever, I listen to you guys. So, and Jimmy and the two of us go way back because we were all students together, and we were all in the uh, radio TV program together. So. And I, think, I don't think you would take offense to this. He is clearly the smart one of the three of us. Brilliant one. <laughs> well, well, I, and, and I will say this. Um, thanks to Jimmy for listening. And most especially, thanks to him for the great work that he's done um, 
and everyone who he's worked with, Michael Garcia and Gina Catalano and everybody at UCF Marketing. I love the fact that um, that Danny White has just taken the reins off of the marketing department and just let them run, let their imaginations run wild. And uh, I think it's been working uh, so incredibly well here in this first month, basically, of um, UCF Sports in uh, in the fall in the 2016-2017 academic year. So. Um, thanks to those guys and all the hard and all the hard hours that they put in because those folks do a lot of work for us, the fans, and uh, we don't see a lot of the legwork that goes into it. But they work very hard behind the scenes to make our experience fun, and especially this year too. I agree, and I can tell you, talking to fans, and again uh, on Saturday, uh, the, all the activities. I think the fans are having a good time because there's so many options there. Uh, think about it. That Saturday, of course, you got tailgating. You've got a concert. You got Monster Motocross performing. You had a volleyball match that went five sets with UCF beating Central Michigan. You had a men's soccer match going on. Just a lot of uh, activities going on for all ages uh, for the Knights fans, young and old. So I, I think it's uh, it's the game day experience has definitely changed, and I think that's what they're trying to promote and they're selling. And I think they're doing a great job with it. And I say uh, I, I I'm, I'm that really I was very excited. I enjoyed that a lot. Uh, and I think that uh, if you haven't gone out there, Jeff, <laughs> I would suggest coming out to the stadium too. That scoreboard's very nice. By yeah, the way. I saw, I saw, and I, I'm still uh, I'm I'm in awe of that, and I love the fact that they keep the stats up there too. So it should be uh, a lot of fun. Even though we have two more road games before the next home game on the uh, on the seventh, which is that Friday night uh, game against Tulane. Um, and that'll be and that'll be on national TV. That'll be on either ESPN two or ESPNU. We don't know exactly where yet, but um, but in the meantime, don't forget that FIU game on Saturday night, September uh, September twenty uh, fourth, uh, on B in Sports. So, all right, Lopez, it's been grand. We'll do this again sometime. All right, sounds good, Jeffrey. All right, so for Eric, oh by the way, you can catch Eric Lopez at Eric Lopez Elo on Twitter. Catch me on Twitter at Jeff underscore Sharon. And catch us at Black and Gold Banneret at UCF underscore Banneret on Twitter. You can also hit us up on Facebook and sign up for our uh, email updates as well at blackandgoldbanneret.com. So for Eric Lopez, I am Jeff Sharon. Thank you so much for listening. This has been the Black and Gold Banneret Podcast. <laughs>